calling my husband. It went to voicemail and left him a voicemail basically saying goodbye. Welcome to the Guiding Mind podcast, and I am your host, Eric Almeida. I'm a mental health coach based out of Western Massachusetts. And the purpose of this podcast is to share kind of the the wisdom and the expertise and the experiences that I have had working with clients in the mental health field, but in particular working on myself that has been able to bring me more of a sense of peace, more of a sense of purpose in life, more of a sense of fulfillment, all knowing that at the same time, I'm still figuring all of this out. Um, It's funny, I don't, though I would qualify as an an expert in the mental health field, I really don't like that term because it implies that I have nothing else to learn. And that's certainly not the case. And so I haven't found a better word yet. The only other one that's kind of come up for me that leans into kind of the more nerdiness of me liking to read and research and things like that as more like a scholar, but even that, like I'm not in education either. So I don't know, I'll figure that out as time goes on. Anywho, I wanted to start off with kind of talking about my own journey with my own mental health that I had to walk down in order for me to be able to hold the space for my clients to help guide them through their difficulties. And so I'm going to talk today about basically the living hell that I went through for a good chunk of my life around me not working on myself in the way I needed to and how much harm that caused me and having been so detached from my path that I should be that I should be on and just how terrible life was for so long as a result um so let's jump back a little bit so I went to college with the intention of becoming a clinician to work in the mental health field I was always drawn to the mental health field for the curiosity of understanding how people work, for the curiosity of understanding how I work. Uh, And for as long as I can remember, I've always wanted to help people. I've, I've been driven to do that for as long as I can remember. It's one of, it's one of my core purposes of life, which is to help people. And Even back then, being as lost as I was, I always gravitated towards wanting to help people in some capacity. And when I graduated from college with my bachelor's in psychology, I started working in the field. I was working at a residential program for children. Um, My fancy title was I was a substitute Milu counselor, which sounds all fancy. It's basically a glorified babysitter for people who've been committed. Um, 
children in particular and at this particular program. And so these were essentially kids who hadn't, who were beyond outpatient treatment, but this particular facility wasn't a full lockdown facility like you'd see in like a hospital or anything like that. This was, it was more kind of like a, kind of like a prep school kind of thing, you know, you know, there was, there was the teenage boy house, the teenage girl house, the young kid house, they had a, their own school and stuff like that. It was, if you were, if you were a kid and you had to be committed, you wanted to be committed there compared to like a more lockdown facility that you might think of. If you think of like, um, like girl interrupted or one who flew over to cuckoo's nest, that's more like institutionalized. That wasn't this. And I did that for about a year or so. And even though I wasn't intimately involved in their mental health processes, because I was just the counts, I was just the babysitter. They had therapists who did the more heavy lifting on that side. Um, I realized very at that time, I wasn't ready to hold the space for having a client with their own mental health needs because I just, I had too much of my own shit. And so, um, I knew back then, so this is 22 years old, that I needed to do work on myself. So pat on the back that I had that self-realization, but I did what mo what most people do. And I ignored that for 15 years. I, I was not, I was too scared to deal with my own issues. I was petrified of what was there. And I thought I could just limp along through my life, which I did for a very long time, um, thinking I could deal with, you know, doing little things here and there to, to, to try to keep things from being terrible, but certainly not, certainly being very far from my full potential, being very far from the path I even should have been on. And so... You know, I, I walked away from the mental health field knowing I wasn't in a place to, to, to do that kind of work safely for myself or for my clients. And, um, but I stayed in fields that were helping people. You know, I stayed in customer service for essentially all of my working career. I went into hospitality, working in hotels for quite some time. <clears throat> and, um, did retail for a while. I became a real estate agent for a while. I worked in customer service at a tea factory. Um, I even got into uh, subsidized housing. So all of it having those kind of tethers to helping other people, but all the while continuing to ignore the work I needed to do on myself. And so that stuff doesn't go away. You can run from it as much as you want. You can try to hide from it as much as you want. And it, 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 it doesn't go away. It's inside of you. You're carrying it with you. So you can't outrun yourself. And I deluded myself into thinking I could try. And all the while... I was dealing with a lot of anxiety, um, a lot of social anxiety in particular, 
um, being very uncomfortable around other people, being very closed off around other people, not feeling safe to be myself. Um, I ended up having this really thick mask that I would wear around other people uh, to protect myself made me great in customer service because you could yell at me and I it would look like I wouldn't react and I would be crying on the inside, but you wouldn't see anything. I would just sit there with a smile as if everything was fine. Not the healthiest field to have been in with all this shit I'm talking about, but hey, it's that was my path. I had to learn the hard way. And so there was that. And then there was also a lot of depression that I was hanging on to. I would have bouts of just not wanting to get out of bed, of just sinking into the darkness of just how much I hated myself, to be perfectly frank, for a good chunk of my life and thinking that something was wrong with me and just an immense amount of pain. And it all came to a head when I was actually in the subsidized housing job, I was, it was just a regular day, nothing out of the ordinary. I was working with some of the residents, just doing an, an annual renewal. It wasn't anything stressful. And I just felt like something was deeply wrong inside of me. And like, this is like, I just like, like something was wrong in my chest. And so I reached out to my boss and was like, can you cover this? Like, I don't feel good. And I ended up going into the maintenance office and just whatever it was, was getting progressively worse very, very, very quickly. I started to hyperventilate. My hands and feet started to go numb. I, I just my heart started racing and I thought I and so I ended up having a heart attack calling 911 for an ambulance completely freaking the hell out I ended up calling my husband it went to voicemail and left him a voicemail basically saying goodbye because what I was feeling really felt like I was dying and it was it was god awful and the last thing I remember after leaving the voicemail to my husband was putting my head on the desk in the maintenance office and then kind of just, I don't know if I passed out. I don't know if I just lost time. I don't know. Um, all I know is that the, the next thing I remember is the paramedics coming in you know, identifying themselves, confirming it, who I was, asking me how I'm doing, me telling them that it's really bad. You know, they, you know, they put on like the, the blood, the, the oxygen little clip on my finger. They put on like the blood pressure cuff on my arm. And, you know, they were examining me, asking me what was going on, asking me what I was feeling. And they were like, okay, we've got good news and we've got bad news. And they're like, the good news is you're not having... A heart attack the bad news is you're having a panic attack and i'm like shit and so they were nice enough to stay with me to calm me down and for the panic attack to eventually end 
my husband ends up calling me in the middle of all of this and I tell him what's happening at this point. He is was scared, but also relieved that I was okay. And um, and I asked him to come pick me up from work and take me home. I, I didn't feel comfortable to drive. And you know that I could they they the paramedics offered to take me to the hospital, and I was like, no, it, I I, I'm, I should be okay. I took a day or so to rest after that, and then did what I tried to normally do with all this, all of my emotions and just try to pretend like it wasn't, it just didn't happen. And so I think it was two days later, I get back to work. I get back into my office and those feelings come right back. And I sprinted out of the office, back in my car and drove home and texted my boss. And I'm like, Nope, I'm not ready. And I tried the day after, and I didn't even get halfway there before I had to turn around in my car, that same panicky feelings coming up within me. And then I really was like, this is really bad. And it only got worse. Um, my default mechanism for dealing with my emotions up until that part, up until that point was to compartmentalize my feelings. And I ran out of compartments. I had filled my mind with all these unresolved emotions from my past. And my mind was full. And my mind was saying, my mind and my body were saying to me, uh-uh no more you got like we've there's no more room at the inn deal with this shit and so it got worse i ended up requesting a medical leave from that job because i i couldn't even get myself to go the it ended up manifesting into agoraphobia so i ended up getting scared of leaving my house i actually didn't leave one room in my house for several weeks, almost a month after the first panic attack happened. And I would just be in that room alternating between deep depression and hysterical crying and just panic. And my husband had just did his best to support me, which he did beautifully, but I was a hot mess. And he was kind of like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. And I'm like, I don't, even, I'm like, I don't know what you can do or say. I'm just freaking the hell out. And so I reached out to a colleague of mine that I knew who was a therapist and I reached out to her. Her name is Sarah. And I'm like, Sarah, this is what happened. It's really bad. I need your help. And can we work over the phone? And she's like, nope, we, that's fine. Let's, you know, we started working together over the phone at first. And then started moving through what I had experienced with the panic attack. Um, slowly got comfortable to go to her office. Took I think a couple of weeks, a phone, a couple of phone sessions before I felt comfortable going to her office. And um, kept working on myself. Kept working on myself, and just started to one at a time, open up these compartments of things. So we started with the panic attack because that was the freshest stuff. But then it was, you know, opening up the compartments of me being bullied as a kid all through middle school, all throughout high school, and just not feeling safe to be myself. You know, I graduated from high school in 2003. So my formative years were the late 90s, early 2000s, and that kind of way with came to school. And back in those days, 
you know, calling someone who was a nerd or who was a geek or, or whatever, or a loser calling them gay was the norm. That was just how the world was back then. And me being a closeted gay kid and me not understanding what it even meant to be gay, having no exposure to my own tribe at that point, had no idea what was going on with my own sexuality, but then to be targeted using those words, you know, against me, you know, you know, gay and fag and queer and all that kind of stuff, which a lot of them have been reclaimed by the community, kudos to the community now, but this is, you know, we're talking over 20 years ago. It caused a lot of damage around my comfort with myself. And, you know, so that was a lot of boxes we were opening. And then a notable box that we took a lot, we didn't get to for quite some time. It was towards the end of my work with Sarah. So about a, maybe a year after, close to a year after my work with her. We opened the box of me almost committing suicide at the age of 19. Um, I was in college. It was one of those random three-day weekends in the fall. I forget what holiday that is. Colum not Col one of those Columbus Day veterans. One of those three-day weekends you get, typically. Most of my closer friends went home. I was still there with some other, you know, dorm mates that I was thought were my friends, and apparently they weren't. A lot of really cruel things were said to me that kind of reactivated a lot of that shame that had not been processed at 19 at all from high school and middle school and the idea that that would never end that torment and rejection would never end i ended up wandering the campus of the umass amherst campus at two in the morning deciding between do i commit myself at health services or do i kill myself and not knowing what i would do or how and somehow i didn't do either i swallowed that pain and just kept going. And um, that was a difficult box to reopen, but to process and to let it go. And, but we did. One box at a time, one trauma at a time, one experience at a time, one belief at a time. And all the while, I got better and better and stronger and more confident. And I found beliefs about myself I didn't know I was living and were able to dismantle them and take them apart. And I found a, a level of peace in myself that I didn't know was possible at all. I thought I would be carrying that pain and that torment for all of my life. And I was able to let it go. And I will always be eternally grateful to Sarah for helping me through that. And after doing that work on myself, I became ready to do it for others. To have left, to have crawled out of my own hell that I lived in, that I chose to stay in for all of those years. And I'm very particular to say I chose to stay there 
because I knew it was bad. I knew I needed to do something to change this. And I chose to stay because at that time, I didn't believe I deserved better. Depression's fucked up that way. They'll do that to you. And so I clawed myself out of that hell. And now I feel contentment in a way that I didn't think could be possible. I feel a sense of fulfillment in my life that I didn't know was possible, a sense of peace I didn't know was possible, and that I'm not special in this way. I've guided a lot of my clients through the same process, and they're not special in that way either. The only thing that has to come is you have to choose to try. You have to be ready to do it. And for me, my rock bottom was the panic attack and shattering the life that I had built at that time that was completely wrong for me. And though that process was one of the hardest experiences I've ever gone through in my life, I am grateful for it, as crazy as that sounds, because I was so far away from my path. And so that's where the name, the guiding mind has come from around my own practice and also around this podcast of I'm just a few steps ahead on my own journey than I am where my clients are. And I'm still working on myself. I'm still healing myself. I'm still climbing the mountain that is my mountain to climb and reaching heights and connection and love and joy and fulfillment and peace that I didn't even know was possible. And it's still getting better, which is the part that's kind of amazing. You know, the depths of hell are never ending, but the heights of heaven, to go biblical, don't end either. There's that, you know, there's that saying that you could always make your life worse, which is most of us can agree with. The other, the other side is also true. You can always make your life better. And so that's my journey as to where I've come from and where I am now. And my intent with this podcast is to just share the insights and the wisdom I've found over my own journey and the work I've done with others to share with all of you in hopes that you can help realize that it's you can make your lives better. That life doesn't have to be the hellscape that many of us believe it is. But if that's what we want to live in, then that's where we'll stay. And so I hope that my story and that the future episodes that I provide through this podcast are helpful to all of you. And thank you for even taking the time to listen.